Hello, and welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm your host, Jason Brunt, and as always, we've got a powerful episode for you today. We have an active alert for all parents that are in Cape Coral, Palm Beach, and Polk County. We're going to be calling out and exposing three groomers that are actively in the school systems trying to pervert your children. In addition to that, we have had an opportunity to come into contact with a whole lot of really good, wholesome folks and get in touch with a whole lot of groups that are sharing our mission to help protect our children. We're going to go over a little bit later at the end of the episode just one of those groups that we're actively working with to keep our children's innocence preserved. We do have a very special guest as well. So January 6th, wife of Deputy Ronald Colton McCabe, known as the Sheriff of January 6th, Sarah McCabe is going to be joining us a little bit later on in the episode to share her harrowing story and the crazy journey that her and her husband have both been through while dealing with the Biden regime's kangaroo court and a system that is rife with injustice and prejudice against a political party. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not going to want to miss this interview. Sarah's going to be joining us a little bit later on, and she is also the founder of Standing in the Gap Foundation, which she's going to ex- describe a little bit as well. We do also have some pretty terrifying national groomer news to cover that if we do not stop it on a national level, we will certainly feel the effects down here in the Sunshine State because this rainbow turd will roll downhill. But first, Here's a message from Big Brother. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent or are affiliated with. All right, here we go. Look. If you guys do not follow Florida Straits on social media or go to their website and you care about what's going on in your local neighborhoods and communities and schools, then you need to follow Florida Straits. But if you don't, there might have been a clip that you missed that they posted out this past week exposing the radical perversion that's going on from a preschool teacher in Cape Coral. Uh, Check this mentally ill Rainbow Clan member out. I feel like I had to learn the concept of chosen families really young and it wasn't anything to do with my queerness but just based on the fact that I didn't have the love at home that I needed and I knew that I was valuable and deserved it so I found it on my own early on and you know I shouldn't be blamed for that because like real like blood still exists you were never there for me and i found my own love and that's okay and i think everybody should be allowed to do that and that's what i fucking teach in the classroom okay i always say give it to your friend not your mom because fuck your mom and i don't know i just am so sad (laughs) i am so sad and i hate my sister she's a fucking cunt that's all i have to say that's my major problem with school I really don't do anything unless I actually want to do it. And most of the time, I don't want to do anything at all. This (laughs) is mental illness in full display. Give love to your friends, but not to your parents. The only thing these Florida kids are learning from me is to be gay. This is preschool. 
For those of you listening, this preschool teacher in Cape Coral, Florida, looks like Lady Gaga and Boy George had a love child. This mentally ill woman looks like a sad clown mixed with the Grinch. These eyebrows, you got to see this. If you're listening and you can look over, check it out. If not, check the links in the description. We'll have the link to the video in there. You got to see this stuff. This woman is out of this world crazy. It's like somebody loaded two caterpillars in a slingshot and shot it crooked at her face. This is not somebody that should be teaching our children. These kids that she is teaching are between three and five years old. They just got done learning how to use the bathroom by themselves and dress themselves. Why do you think it's appropriate to bring sexuality in front of a baby? <sighs> I can't stand that these people even think that this is something that's rational or okay. This is disturbing. These people do not need to be around our children. And just like a predator who is convicted of child abuse... They should be on a registry as well and not allowed to go anywhere near the children. You are paid to educate kids, not indoctrinate the children. This is just another example of how many of these rogue teachers with defined mental illnesses are going after your children and bringing this depravity in your homes through this Trojan horse rainbow indoctrination. You need to vet your teachers. You need to vet your school districts. You need to actively look for this because they are not sending it home in a pamphlet with your signature approval. That doesn't exist. They're doing it. They're coming in back door and they're shoving it in your home. Our interview with Leonardo Trent from our previous episode was terrifyingly eye-opening about how his English teacher, uh, shortly after the Don't Say Gay Bill, House Bill 1557 was put into place, had to remove the rainbow flags in her office that were being hung, or her classroom. And then she decided to do an assignment with the kids where they all had to draw a picture of their favorite flag. Well, hmm... After the current year's indoctrination, guess what? A few of those children drew that favorite little progress flag that she loves and the rainbow flag that she adores. And would you believe it or not, guess what two flags she chose to display? As it being students' work, independent, she's allowed to hang it. That's that back door. Well, biological, ladies and gentlemen, Palm Beach County is one of the most depraved counties in our entire state. If you remember Shannon Jones from one of our previous episodes, the principal down there in Palm Beach that loves to wear the rainbow regalia and encourage children to have conversations with her about her sexuality and their ours, this county is really, really, really bad. This cabal of rogue educators in this cesspool of a school district is repulsive. Listen to this article from ABC News, WPDE. All right, so get a load of this. Protect my students. Florida teacher speaks out on new state LGBTQ plus policies. West Palm Beach, Florida. 
About a month into the new school year, teachers in Florida are speaking out about how the new state laws are impacting students and faculty in the LGBTQ plus community. Middle school teacher William Rizzo, who works in Palm Beach County, went in front of the school board on Wednesday night's meeting begging for their help. What are you going to do to protect me and all the other LGBTQ plus teachers? How are you going to show us that you understand my plea and are actually concerned, and most importantly, how you're going to protect my students who now have no safe space to go, Rizzo said. Rizzo heads the Stallion Pride Club at his school. What an awfully sexualized name to have in a school. It's a gay straight alliance or GSA group that opens its doors to all students in grades six through eighth. Quote, sometimes it's simply a place to get together and be themselves and talk and whatever. Sometimes it's bringing up real issues they're going through, said Deborah Cunt Conant, Palm Beach County middle school teacher and Stallion Pride co-sponsor. Coming out to their families, coming out to their friends, just being their authentic selves in the world. But the group is quickly shrinking in size, and Rizzo says he knows why. Quote, it is now required by law that you have your parents' permission slips for all clubs. And I've had students come to me saying they can't get those parent permission slips. They can't bring it home, Rizzo said. They're telling me that they're afraid their parents are going to kill them. The rest of the article will be linked in the descriptions. I cannot keep going on reading this ridiculous stuff. Dude, they're not your kids. If the parents want to raise their children in the manner that parents see fit to raise their children, that is not your place as a publicly funded educator in a taxpayer funded institution. Do your job. Educate. Do not indoctrinate. You people are out of control. They need a safe space. I've heard this so many countless times from these radical progressive activists. They don't have a safe space at their home or with their family, so we have to give them an environment where they can come and be their authentic selves. That's not your job. That's not your job. K through 12 schools, that doesn't belong in there. I don't agree with the way that many people raise their children but it is their prerogative to raise their children that way. I raise my children in a Christian home. Some people choose to raise their children under the guise of Islam. That is their prerogative and their right. And although I don't agree with that style, it is not my place to jump in and try to stop it, and neither is it yours. You are being paid to be an educator to these children. You all rogue Teachers out there need to stop. This is Hitlerian. You are no different from the teachers in 1932 Germany that we were indoctrinating with the Hitler Youth Program. I can't even uh, understand the depravity that continues to go on here. Let's look at this next one we've got here. Before I get into this, y'all, if you are in Palm Beach County, you need to start squeaking and you better get to those school boards because these people are pushing it hard and if you're not active it's going to continue to roll downhill check this one out well on cnn my absolute favorite news source 
I don't want to talk to the gay one. LGBTQ teacher says that they are fighting erasure in their own classrooms. Daphne Cruz has worked at public elementary, middle, and high schools in Polk County, Florida for 10 years. And for all 10 years, she's never made an effort to downplay or hide her queerness. Which means she's been overtly promoting for the past 10 years and is probably one of the reasons that DeSantis had to sign into law House Bill 1557. A high school assistant principal, Cruz, has faced criticism from other school administrators in the county for being an out gay educator. She wears bow ties and suspenders to work and proudly displays photos of her wife and their daughter around her office. Some have suggested she conceal her queerness for the sake of her career. She said that one county official misgendered her in a forum of her colleagues. Oh, Lord, I don't even want to know the rest of that story. But it wasn't until this school year that a parent came to to her school's office and said, referring to Cruz, I don't want to talk to the gay one. Cruz says she was shocked. But the surge in bills that aim to restrict the discussion of pronouns, gender identity, and sexuality in classrooms, along with the hateful rhetoric that often accompanies debates of those bills, has created a culture of audacity, boldness, and intolerance among parents and administrators, Cruz told CNN. Again, not going to go through this lengthy article. The link will be in that description, but that just kind of gives you the synopsis idea here. If you're listening, it's looks like one of the newsboys from the 50s type outfit with tats up and down the arm. I mean, honestly, the way she's dressed wouldn't be that awkward if that were to be one of my children's teachers. But the fact that she needs to overly promote and constantly talk about her sexuality and relationships in the school with the children is a problem. Like, I don't even remember teachers when I was in school having pictures on their desks of their families. My teachers went to school and they did the education thing and then they went home. I can recall maybe a couple of stories uh, when my teachers were talking where they might have referenced that they had the they and their wife had went out for dinner the weekend before and whatever and telling a story. And so be it. If you're if you're a gay teacher and you're telling a story that reflects to your life, then who cares? You talk about your life. Nobody gives a rat's ass. But when you start shoving it in the throat and it's like, oh, look at this. Look at this. Check this picture out. Hey, look, ask a question. Go ahead. Ask a question. That's what this is. That's how they're rogue indoctrinating. It's, oh, let me Create an environment that encourages discussion about this subject. Don't talk about it just like you talk about cleaning the floor or anything else. If you're just normal, nobody gives a crap. It's this wild stuff. Oh, they misgendered me. Good God. Just deal with it. Make the correction if it's wrong and move on. This is like, again, there's three examples just in a week. This is nonstop, y'all. It's time we get a hold of this. It's absolutely time that we get a hold of this. All right, so this one's from The Atlantic, and it's it's great, and this article's going to talk about it a little bit, that these companies are starting to come out against this garbage and that people are starting to write about it, and even newspapers and media are picking up on it. So this article reads... The DEI industry needs to check its privilege. The worst of the industry is expensive and runs from useless to counterproductive by, and I'm going to ruin this guy's last name, Connor Freidersdorf. It reads as follows. 
The diversity, equity, and inclusion industry exploded in 2020 and 2021. But it is undergoing a reckoning as of late and not just in states controlled by Republicans where officials are dismantling DEI bureaucracies and public institutions. Corporations are cutting back on DEI spending and personnel. News outlets such as the New York Times and New York Magazine are publishing more articles that cover the industry with skepticism, and DEI practitioners themselves are raising concerns about how their competitors operate. I was a senior director of human resources before the radical leftists got triggered and had me fired for speaking out for these very issues that I've been speaking about on this show, which is asking for true equality and celebration and not perverting our children in the K through 12 schools. Uh, a company that I thought was um, more of a conservative based company, it, it turns out that that was exactly the opposite. And I was terminated within 24 hours of speaking at the school board for three minutes. But as a director of human resources in charge of hiring, recruiting, and everything, um, when I started um, at every company that I've started with human resources at, I remove the DEI programs. And thank God I live in a state like Florida where it's actually legal to do so. You do not have to have those programs as part of your company's training and development. What they are is they're divisive. They're 100% divisive. And I refuse to play videos and training videos and teach classes to my employees that teach them that there's any differences between themselves. First off, it's an employer. I'm not here for social engineering. I'm here to employ you, give you a paycheck, and you go home. You have your opinions at your home. Nobody gives a crap about it at work. We hire off qualifications. And we give promotions off of performance. And there is no line drawn there as far as color, creed, or anything of that nature. That is true equality. But when you start having to hire people based off of skin color to fit a quota, if you've got to start shaming some of your employees, the majority in many cases of your employees, because there's a select minority of employees that haven't even said anything about it, but just because of the fact that you have a demographic in your company that consists of a minority, now you're going to shame the white people there to make them feel guilty for something that they have nothing to do with. I personally hate, and I'm not going to go too far into this because this is not a show about race, but I hate the racist games that are being played, the race baiting games that they constantly are unfolding before us to keep us divided amongst ourselves. Nobody cares. Honestly, nobody really cares. There's some small factions out there of some folks that maybe act like complete buffoons and that's on both sides and have terrible ideology and, and they should all, all be shut down and shamed for sure. But most people, the majority of all of us don't care about these issues that are being manufactured through these DEI programs. When you start creating the spotlight and putting it on an issue, it becomes polarized and we need to react so if you don't like the reactions stop shoving it through the throats but dei is an absolute joke and speaking of diversity equity and inclusion we have nola n-e-o-l-a services i just was learning a little bit more about the this organization which uh, is based out of ohio and basically what they are is a way that it's uh, like a consulting firm so Schools and districts that, I mean, let's call a spade a spade, that want to indoctrinate your kids and groom them, and they want to find the way to do it 
within the realms of legality. So how do I sidestep? How do I manipulate this law? How can I do this? What's okay? Like the teacher hanging the uh, students drawn transgender flags in the classroom because she was told to take hers down. It's these types of things. Now that's legal. It's morally and ethically terrible and wrong. And that person should be immediately fired from the school system because your goal is not to educate my kids when you're doing this sexuality thing. But this group, Neola, uh, so if you are in Florida districts, Neola is also here in Florida and they are growing. So if they're not in your district now, keep an eye on your school board um, upcoming meetings and what's on their budget proposals because if you see this company mentioned this is a bad bad news uh so this company is essentially a dea and a dei company i'll put the link down in the description for you to look at it but this group they come into the schools and basically talk to these rogue rogue educators and administrators and say hey this is how you can keep pushing these agendas that you want to on the children and this is how you can do it legally and we've created a pathway for you to do it. They provide materials and suggestions, and I'm sure there's behind-the-scenes conversations that go on that, that just go over some of the most depraved tactics. So please keep an eye on these people, too. Neola uh, Services, N-E-O-L-A dot com. Check them out. That is a satanic group there for absolute sure, and they are in the school systems. Um, I know specifically here in Charlotte County, Florida, so uh, and we're a red county in a red state. So if we've got this in our county and you live anywhere like in Palm Beach, oh my goodness, you've got some things going on there for sure. We're going to go over some national news. And we think it's important that we cover some national news, even though we primarily try to focus on the state of Florida, because as I mentioned earlier, this rainbow turd rolls downhill. So we need to be focused on what's coming, what's working in other states for this LGBTQ plus agenda and how we can prevent it from happening here in Florida. So check this video out from Project Veritas, uh, which I have mixed feelings about after they ousted James O'Keefe. However, they still have undercover reporters that are diligently working to expose some of this corruption. So here is a video from Project Veritas and listen to this. This is a nonprofit that exists in New Jersey uh, called High Tops. And they sneak uh, sexual and LGBTQ plus curriculum into schools. This uh, administrator of the group admits the goal is to strip parents of opt-out rights so that way they can force the indoctrination of the LGBTQ plus agenda. Hannah Wires, health educator, says, I think our real goal would be to make sure that opt-out doesn't exist. Check this out. There's a mandate for racial justice and inclusivity. Yes. Sometimes that's how we get through. Ooh, yes. 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 Which is right. very smart. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. parents are not able to opt out of those classes. That's right. Yes. Exactly. That's how you got it. <laughs> In New Jersey, our undercover journalist unveiled alarming truths from high top educators. While their website paints them as a nonprofit championing inclusive youth informed sex education and LGBTQ support, a deeper investigation uncovered deception. Facing parental resistance, both executive director Lisa Shelby and health educator Hannah Wires confessed. They exploit the mandatory Pathways to Racial Literacy class as a hidden channel 
a back door to reach children bypassing the parents' rights to opt out their children. When we go to middle school, they have a class that's called um, Pathways to Racial Literacy. And so it is, you know, learning a lot about race, ethnicity, so on and so forth. We come in and we teach for three days. That, that class, they can, parents are not allowed to opt their children out of. Um, that's our real, I guess that's our like real sort of like goal would be to remove opt-out laws or like opt-out policies because right now for like a health class, if we came in as like a health class, parents could opt their children out. It's okay, but you found a back door. <laughs> yes, it is really nice. I think more and more what we end up doing while like we brand ourselves as like sex education and support, um, what we end up doing more and more, especially this past year, on the education team is doing that affirming work, doing those lessons with teachers, with students about affirming language, affirming practices, things like that, um, just because that's sort of been the need that more people have had than, you know, doing like healthy relationships and things like that. But that's where you market yourself yes. differently. Yeah. My, my co-workers are the ones who sort of pivot to market. I just sort of show up and teach and they are, she's a genius when it comes to sort of sensing those needs that need to be filled. What's your director's name? Our director is Lisa Shelby. Our journalists sat down with High Top's executive director, Lisa Shelby, to discuss the organization's objectives and programs. Notably, she confirmed their use of the Pathway to Racial Literacy class in select New Jersey schools, capitalizing on the fact that parents cannot exclude nor opt out their children from this course. Yeah. At least those that we work with, you know, wants to wants to be supported and helpful at all times in their life, um, but feel confused, ignorant. They don't have the vocabulary. Yes. They don't want to make a mistake. Yes. Right. So we start there, and we are supposed to create safety in space. People can make mistakes, ask questions, etc. And we have. So that's sort of our initial training, and then we have eight different modules that kind of goes through, gets more and more in-depth, more and more sort of in the nitty-gritty of the tenets of orientation in general. And that's done through racial injustice class, right? Sometimes, yeah. in certain schools, but you're right, there are some, there's a mandate yeah. for racial justice and inclusivity yeah. and sometimes that's how we get through yes. yeah. Yeah. which is right. very smart yeah. Yeah. because well, parents are not able to opt out of those classes that's right, yeah. exactly that's right, you got it <laughs> so that's one big program that we have in our modern classrooms our undercover video has ignited a heated debate Hannah Wires highlights how organizations under the guise of promoting inclusivity, are accessing students directly during school hours. They're using school-issued computers to discuss sensitive topics like the pronouns of a child's gender based on their own observations of a child's perceived identity. I don't know if you all have been in a school recently. They're all digital. They do everything digital. No, yes. 
which can be nice though because then they can send out um, like a Google form basically and it's just like hey I'm just checking in do you still like like remind me what name you to be called remind me what pronouns you like to use I don't know if a four-year-old is gonna know the word pronouns but they know the word words right and they know you know I'm, I like to be called cheaper like, I'm sure you know things like that so and so you send it directly directly to the student, not the parent. That's what, uh, oh. that's what we encourage staff to do, yes. Oh. Yeah. Every child should receive a transparent education that equips them for academic achievement and future success. Our investigation into high tops reveals a significant breach of trust, where trusted educators exploit loopholes and technology to advance radical sexual education without parental knowledge or consent. These educators admit their goal is to eliminate a parent's right to opt their children out of classes that they may feel are inappropriate or violate their family's values. Project Veritas remains committed to investigating the secret curriculums that exist in America's classrooms. This is a nonprofit organization with big money donors. There are over 10,000 of these types of organizations throughout the entire United States, and they are using all of their resources and recruiting massive amounts of influencers, media companies, retail companies, and they are pumping lots of dollars into this agenda to get into your schools and give you the opportunity to not op your children out of this indoctrination. This is tragically dangerous and it is on our doorsteps so when we talk about local action it is necessary for our survival as a country so get off of your rear ends and get to these school boards and stop these radical indoctrination tactics from being shoved into our children's faces please Again, this nonprofit has some huge money donors, and there's 10,000 of them, but there is one nonprofit, just one, that is dedicated to promoting and preserving traditional values in our communities and schools, and that is the sponsor of our show, Florida Straits, and they are actively working day in and day out to make sure that this does not infiltrate our Florida school systems, but they cannot do it without your help. Please visit floridastraits.com make a small donation. If you want to support this show directly, you can go to uh, the links in our description where you'll find links to our locals page and our Patreon page where we upload exclusive content, some silly videos and some prank phone calls that we've actually received on the show. I hope it was a prank, but you should definitely check that one out. Uh, it's called Tranny the Clown, and that's available on our locals and Patreon page uh, for your ridiculous enjoyment. <clears throat> so I don't like career politicians. I just don't. I, I think that after you're in that industry for a long enough amount of time, it's inevitable that you're going to be corrupted. That's why I support candidates that typically are not career politicians and without 10 to 20 years of public service, because that's not the average person. I'm the average person. Most of you watching this now are the average person. I'd like to see somebody be able to run with a bank account balance that looks like mine, which is... Not not very impressive, but that's authentic. And that's what the majority of us Americans are, is middle 
lower class people. That's who I'd like to see be able to run for office. But sometimes there is a career politician that is, I think, a good, decent human being who has managed to weather themselves through the storm, avoid the corruption, and still not afraid to attack issues when they come up. And one of those that I appreciate, admire, and respect is Senator John Kennedy. And I want to show you a video recently when they were speaking in Senate about some of these graphic books that we've been talking to you about, uh, one of which we featured in one of our earlier episodes with the pornography that is attributed in cartoon form for the children, and that is gender queer. So take a listen to this, Senator John Kennedy uh, reading this to um, one of these guys that is actually trying to advocate keeping these books in the school libraries. Watch Senator John Kennedy crush this guy and leaves him almost speechless. Let's take two books that have been much discussed. Um, the first one is called All Boys Aren't Blue. And I will quote from it. I put some lube on and got him on his knees. And I began to slide into him from behind. I pulled out of him and kissed him while he masturbated. He asked me to turn over while he slipped a condom on himself. This was my ass, and I was struggling to imagine someone inside me. He got on top and slowly inserted himself into me. It was the worst pain I think I have ever felt in my life. Eventually, I felt a mix of pleasure with the pain, close quote. All boys aren't blue. The second is a, a, another much-discussed book. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's called Genderqueer. Okay? Let me read an excerpt from that. Quote, I got a new strap-on strap harness today. I can't wait to put it on you. It will fit my favorite dildo perfectly. You're going to look so hot. I can't wait to have your cock in my mouth. I'm going to give you the blowjob of your life, then I want you inside of me." End quote. Now, Mr. Secretary, what are you asking us to do? Are you suggesting that only librarians should decide whether the two books that I just referenced should be available to kids? Is that what you're saying? No. Okay. Tell me what you're saying. Well, first of all, there's this. Don't give me a speech. Tell me what you're asking will, me to do. With all due respect, Senator, the words you spoke are disturbing, especially coming out of your mouth is very disturbing. But I would, I would also tell you that we're not advocating for kids to read porn, to Senator Booker's what point. What are you advocating for? We are advocating for parents, random parents, not to have the ability, under the guise of keeping kids safe, to try and challenge 
the worldview of every single manner on these issues. You're getting conceptual game. I'm what not getting conceptual. Well, I'm yes, saying you that are. Yes, you are. Because you, you, I want to know what you're recommending. Never in a million years did I think that I would hear Senator John Kennedy use any of those words in a Senate hearing. But unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what needs to be said, because that is how abhorrent these literature that they're introducing to our K through 12 schools is. This is pornography. It is repulsive and is unacceptable to be around our children. And honestly, it shouldn't even really be in a regular situation. It's grooming. But good for Senator John Kennedy to take this guy to task and his response or lack thereof it was phenomenal. But ladies and gentlemen, we do have a very special guest going to be joining us here in just a moment. Sarah McCabe, wife of January Sixer, known as the sheriff of J6, Deputy Ronald Colton McCabe. She's going to be joining us tonight to share her harrowing and amazing story and how she's overcoming some of the hurdles that are being thrown upon her and her husband in a system that is exceptionally unjust. She's going to be going over how some of the evidence has been cherry-picked, how she had to hire a private investigator to be able to find some of these videos that could provide exculpatory evidence for her husband when the FBI should have been the ones to be able to conduct a good enough thorough investigation to have found that video themselves, but they didn't want to. And that's the problem that all of these folks that are in this D.C. gulag are facing is they don't want these people to be freed they want them to be prosecuted to the fullest and ex exaggerated extreme of any law it is an absolute shame that this is even happening in this country that many of us patriots fought for to see this type of kangaroo court happening it's it's unspeakable that this is even happening but ladies and gentlemen uh before we have sarah come on i want to just play for you a video that's going to compare January 6th to the Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots. And, and you can see the comparisons here. The only difference is people that attended January 6th, even grandmothers and deputy sheriffs, are arrested and prosecuted and given extremely long and out-of-control sentences. Meanwhile, all the BLM and Antifa protesters, they don't even get an honorable mention. Check this video out. Let's compare the January 6th quote-unquote insurrection to the riots on January 20th, 2017, Trump's inauguration day. Hundreds, if not thousands, of Antifa anarchists and communists rioted and committed arson on J20. They threw rocks, smashed windows, assaulted police with projectiles, and to set SUVs and limousines on fire, destroying them, all in hopes of stopping the peaceful transfer of power after the lawful election of President Donald J. Trump. 235 J20 suspects were charged with various felonies and reliable to serve between 25 and 70 years in prison, with fines as high as $25,000. But a funny thing happened on the way to justice. They were quickly bonded out, and then the judges rigged the cases to free the defendants. An example? U.S. Superior Court presiding judge Lynn Leibovitz, a George Bush Jr. appointee, forbade the prosecution from using phrases like Antifa and Black Bloc, and just before deliberations threw out the felony riot charges. 
Just two defendants were convicted, but Leibovitz suspended their sentences. Only one of the 235 defendants, Dane Powell, did any jail time, and it was only for four months. Let's contrast that with what happened at the January 6th protest to stop the Electoral College count and ensuing big steal. The J6 protesters weren't bonded out, and some are in solitary confinement. The feds arrested more than 570 January 6th protesters, more than twice as many as they arrested for the January 20th mayhem, and charged many with quote-unquote civil disorder, obstruction of an official proceeding, and violent entry into the Capitol building. Nicholas Stix writes, J20 rioters did exactly what judges and prosecutors have accused the J6 defendants of doing. The rioting communists tried to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a lawful election. This is life in the anarcho-tyranny, as Sam Francis described it, in which criminals aren't punished, which is why it's anarchy, but the innocent are, which is why it's tyranny. I mean, clearly there is a little bit more extreme on one side than the other side, and that is no question about it. Yet we throw the books at patriotic protesters that come dressed in American flags and waving American flags and coming there believing that they're trying to defend the institution and the country that they grew up in and love and then you got these thugs that are just trying to burn things, beat people up, light stuff on fire. 22 years for these folks, not even an honorable mention for the other ones. That is a two-tiered and unjust system. But without further ado, biological ladies and gentlemen, check our interview out with Miss Sarah McCabe. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, joining us today is a very special guest who has an incredible story to share about uh, her journey. Uh, joining us today is Sarah McCabe, who is the wife of January 6th Deputy Ronald Colton McCabe, who is currently serving time in the D.C. Gulag and dealing with all of the unfair treatments and injustices that are happening because of that. Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Now, Sarah, before I, before I go into any of the questions that we wanted to go over with you, I did I did want to ask, how are you doing? How are you and your husband doing throughout this? I know you guys are on two different battlefields fighting the same war, so it's two different experiences. So can you tell us a little bit about how, how, how you're holding up? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for asking. Um, it's really a one day at a time sort of thing because that's how often things can change. Um, I learned early on from this that we are in the long game. Um, and so, you know, two years ago when my husband was apprehended by the FBI, I never thought my life would look like this. Um, but I do believe that the men and women affected by January 6th were chosen for such a time as this. And so I just believe because of the prayers and the thoughts from the American patriots surrounding us, it gives us our strength to get through the days. I say all the time, I don't know how these men who have been ripped away from their families, incarcerated for almost a thousand days with unknowing of what the future looks like, can still sing the national anthem every night at 9 p.m. from their jail cells and can still get up and give each day with so much grace. And it's only by the grace of God that I think that these men are gonna be okay. It's a long road ahead, but I do believe that they're gonna stand up on the right side of history. Well, they're true patriots, and they're not letting their patriotism waver even in the face of as much adversity as, as these fine people have been going through. It's truly a shame. Uh, 
millions of Americans, myself included, uh, we believe that the elections were tampered with and that Joe Biden, that election was kind of rife with fraud. And for lack of a better term, it was stolen. Uh, your husband presumably shared these beliefs also and traveled to assert his constitutional rights. Can you describe the factors that motivated your husband's actions and the passion that led him to travel half across the country to protest that fateful day? Yeah, absolutely. So he, um, like many Americans, we went to bed in November on election night and woke up and we were like, wait, what happened? This has never happened in American history that you go to bed thinking President Trump won, waking up and there's another president. Um, and, you know, there were two months of time between the election and January 6, where he was like, why aren't people airing their grievances? We can sit here and talk around the dinner table and talk to our family and friends about what's going on. But why is nobody addressing the government? The thing that they stole from us, which makes America so unique, is that we are able to vote in a free and fair election, supposedly, and they they stole it from us right underneath our eyes. And, you know, if if they didn't steal it, like they want to say it was the most safest election in the history, then why are they hiding all the tapes? Why are, you know, they covering up the windows at night when they're counting ballots, you know? And I think that everybody wants to talk about 2024 and we need to go out and vote. But I want to ask if they didn't fix 2020, they didn't fix 2022, and we've done nothing to potentially fix 2024, then why do we think that we're going to win this election? I think it all falls back into the, we, the people's hands. And unfortunately, this is still going on th almost three years later because we, the people, continue to allow it. And they have done things such as locking up patriots, as my husband is, because they are afraid of we, the people, and it's a fear tactic. I think we need to take this as motivation and, and correctly address the government and say, hey, you forgot that you work for us. And that's simply what they did on January 6th. And unfortunately, I do believe that the government wanted it to be worse than what it was. Um, but they are using it as fear tactics to say, hey, never address your government, never question what your government is doing. That's not only an opinion, that's been stated in multiple January 6th cases. Well, you're 100% right. It's being used as a fear tactic. And that with the assault against Donald Trump as well is to basically tell any other people with patriotic values or passion that uh, don't dare stand up because if you do, this is what we're going to do to you. And for these fine guys to be in the gulag and every 9 p.m. singing and being as patriotic, that is a true American, more so than I think 90% of the ones out there that play keyboard warriors. But can you share maybe any personal stories or anecdotes that can kind of shed light on the passion that your husband had in his beliefs leading up to his desire to go out there and have his voice heard? Yeah. So, um, he was not very like super politically involved, right? We were very conservative. He grew up small town Christian and his views just aligned more conservatively than not. And, and I even say conservative more than Republican now, because I think it's conservative versus liberal, not Democrat versus Republican. Now those parties just constantly shift. But you know, when you have somebody that comes in such as Donald Trump and somebody who is not a politician, who is a business owner that runs America as a business, I think it just opened a lot of people's eyes as it did my husband to say, hey, listen, this is an average American who's done well in life and had success. 
who took America, ran it as a business, turned it around to help every average American citizen. It wasn't about the elites and the people of the haves and the have nots. It was simply about if you were an American, he made your life easier, whether it was taxes or uh, groceries, gas, whatever it might be, putting money back into the American people's pocket. That's what drove him to love and support Trump and the fact that he spoke as a as an average person you know he stuck his foot in his mouth a couple of times but he talked just as you and i are talking here you didn't need some moderator to come on after he spoke and said well this is what the president just said and he was the the president of the people and he just truly believed that you know all these things that had happened within our country um with the summer of love in 2020 and COVID and all these things that they were trying to do to destroy our country at the end of the day when the dust settled donald trump was still standing yes yes and and, and many millions of people are still standing with him uh so question reading through some of the articles the leftist nudes like to paint their narratives the way that they do uh your husband wore a three percenter patch on his tactical vest uh, as well as a sheriff's patch was your husband part of an organized group or that day that or did he travel on his own accord no he traveled on his own accord actually a friend at the time had invited him he had gone to the november rally and the december rally and um had invited him to go to the january 6th rally and um he just believed in the ideology of three percent and so people at the at the beginning the the media of course smeared him and the government had said oh well he's part of three percenters well that got taken down immediately because three percenters is an ideology. It's not necessarily a group as a whole. I know that there's little groups here and there, but not such as the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers. He just believed in the ideology, you know, that back in the Revolutionary War, it only took three percent of of the population to rise up against the king. And I think that it's very profound. Um, even now, more profound than it was on January sixth, I believe, to wear something of that sort because. I think, you know, they've they've feared the American people from making examples out of the people from January 6th. But I think it, it even means more now that we only need a small percent of the population to stand up and say, stop, enough is enough, and you're not going to hurt our fellow Americans. And standing up and standing in the gap for people that aren't necessarily able or willing to stand up for their own. And that's what our founding fathers did. They were just average citizens. You know, they had families, they had jobs, they had, but they put it all on the line. And I think that's what people forget about our American history is our founding fathers. They, they, some were old, some were young. I mean, every walk of life, they, some had kids, some had families, some had wives. And even after it was over, they were constantly gone after when they said, give me liberty or give me death. They absolutely meant it and they lived it out. It was a principle that they lived, not just something that they said, like you talked about with keyboard warriors. I think a lot of people, it's easy to sit in their home, sit behind a screen, type out whatever they want to say. But when they need to put action behind their words, I think it is the 3% that stands up and says enough is enough. 90%, 97% of people are afraid of losing their dopamine hits or a couple of friends on Facebook or a job right. or, or something right. like that to stand up for what you believe. 
And, and you're right. The three percenters I'm friends with uh, many of folks that identify as such. And it, there is no organized group. It is the ideology. It's the formation of how our country was started. And, and it quite possibly might be the way that it's saved. Uh, so I, I love the way that the left tries to always demonize. You know, I was reading the article saying, you know, who's dressing in that type of an outfit is looking for trouble. And what I try to remind people is I myself was at the November rally. And there was Antifa and Black Lives Matter people out there in force. And the cops were corralling the patriots into Black Lives Matter Square and allowing these folks to surround them and, and right. virtually enc encouraging violence. We watched a Black Lives Matter protester knock a baby carriage over and say, F your white baby. Meanwhile, a police officer standing maybe 10 feet away and did absolutely nothing to stop it. Meanwhile, the same Capitol Police Department arrested two Trump supporters for walking off the sidewalk with their beer for open container. So the, the, the corruption is rife in that Capitol Police Department, as we've all seen before and more so obvious now with what's going on with the J6 trials. But most folks don't understand is that people didn't go there wearing any sort of regalia as a sort of combatant tactic. It was for protection because you had these BLM and Antifa people that it was a playground for them running around and, and knocking people around and assaulting people. Uh, question, though, um, there was thousands of active and retired law enforcement members in that crowd that day uh, alongside your husband uh, fighting for the same exact cause and principle. Given your, hus given your hus husband's background in law enforcement, how do you feel as his experiences in that field of work influenced his decision to participate in, in January 6th? Um, so, yeah, so I don't know how much um, other than he believed it's every right as an American to vote. Um, you know, he doesn't believe if you're convicted of uh, any type of felony, you should not be able to vote because at the end of the day, you're still an American citizen. And so he just believes that um, it's your right you know, and it's different, you know, he feels different uh, in regards to like the laws, you're not allowed to own weapons, and you can't rent an apartment, all those things that go with felony. But at the end of the day, like, it is your right as an American to be able to, to vote in the election. And I think that played played a role in it. You know, he's, he's someone that upholds the values of, of the Constitution. And specifically on January 6th, you're right, there, there were hundreds of thousands of former current law enforcement there was um active military you know veterans in the crowd and in that particular instance i believed it was his training that kicked in so as you can see from the videos that he jumped into action when there was chaos breaking out around him he saw an officer down went to try to help that officer and tried to save roseanne boyland's life and to me any man with courage any officer that was either on duty or off duty that day would have done the same thing, you know, because it wasn't right for the police officers to rage war on the American people and especially on the elderly and the women. And so I always say, you know, for those police officers that didn't do anything or that caused more harm than good, they need to turn their badges in because they don't represent us at all. And then also with the men that were there that day, a lot of them that they talk about the violent versus nonviolent. Well, my husband was charged with uh, four violent crimes, or excuse me, three, four felonies, three misdemeanors. And that's simply because he jumped into action. Anything any normal man would have done when you see a, it doesn't matter if it was a police officer or not, somebody that was beating somebody, certainly they were going to jump into action that day. And so it's very interesting that the training that he was used to serve his community, to serve Americans, 
is now being turned around and used against him. And they had said in a court filing and while we were in court, a court hearing transcript that he did not uphold his oath of office that day. And I believe he was one of the only officers that upheld his oath of office that day. Regardless, you know, I've never been able to ask him, hey, knowing what you know now, would you still have gone to January 6th? Would you have still taken the actions that you have taken that day? I've not been able to ask him that simply because we have not gone to trial yet and all of our calls are recorded. But I know if I had asked him that question, he would say absolutely, because it's not about him. It, it could have happened in a McDonald's parking lot, Chick-fil-A. It could have happened here in the Nashville State Capitol. He would have done the same exact thing that day because honestly, he didn't do anything wrong. No, and and many officers, and your husband was an officer for seven years, correct? Correct. They take a pledge to protect our country from enemies, both foreign and domestic. So, I mean, wow, this this is. I am so sorry that that y'all are going through this because this is this is a banana republic that we're in right now. How how has this situation affected your family dynamic and and your relationship? I know it's got to be taxing and. It is. Um, you know, it's it's for better or for worse when you get married. And, you know, I have noticed with families that aren't grounded in their faith, they are the ones that haven't been able to weather the storm. And I truly believe it is only by the grace of God. I know that the man that they took on August 17th, 2021 is not going to be the man that walks out of there, whether it's in the next five days, the next five years, whatever it might look like. I know that that is not the same person. And, you know, to be honest with you, it's very hard to continue. You you hold on a lot to the past because you can only have a 15 minute call a day. I've only seen him three times in the past two years. And so it's a very different type of relationship that you're kind of just thrown into the fire to see what happens. And, and I've learned through this process that um, anybody that's taken a plea deal, anybody that has left their significant other, whatever their circumstances may be, I have never been one to be able to sit back and judge because I am not in their shoes. And so I think a lot of them, it's for the immediate freedom to get back to their kids and their family. Um, but one reason he has withstood this storm and said, no, I'm taking it all the way to trial. Not only is he not going to admit that he's guilty to something that he's clearly not guilty of, but in, in the fact that he wants to get justice for Roseanne Boylan, but his um, family dynamics, you know, our financial situation, our relationship, um, there have been people, it's so crazy to say, Jason, but I um, am thankful for this storm, as terrible as it has been in a lot of aspects of our lives. I am thankful that it proved um, the people that I thought would have been on our side through thick and thin, when you walk through the valley with people, you know, you want to celebrate on the mountaintops, but who's going to walk in the valley with you? And there are people that left our lives that I never thought, ever thought in a million years, they would have not been able to stand by us in the fire. One of them being my best friend of 26 years, um, became my husband's best friend. And um, literally, we have pictures of us in diapers together. That's how small we were. We went to school together, grew up together. And um, when this had happened, I called and said, hey, this is what's going on. I need a character reference. And then two weeks later, we were going to a bond hearing. And I said, will you be willing to testify on his behalf? Nothing about January 6th, nothing about the case, just simply who you know Colton to be. Absolutely no problem. Well, the night before he calls me and he said, hey, you know, um, I want to know what would happen to our friendship if I decided not to testify tomorrow. And I got quiet on the phone. And I said, to be honest with you, I didn't even know that this would be a question. 
But I can tell it you. It shouldn't be a question. It, right? Where's your loyalty, right? I said, but if you do not show up tomorrow, I will never speak to you again. 10 minutes before the hearing, his wife, not even him, he had his wife call the attorney and say that he wasn't showing up to testify. And so since then, I have not spoken a word. Um, so you have like something like that and you're so devastated at first. You're right, you're angry. You're like, how could you do this? But they weren't built for such a time as this, right? They could not walk this journey with us. They And, and I'm not necessarily saying they are a bad person, but they have no loyalty. They are loyal to themselves. They are loyal to, to what affects them. I get that this doesn't look good, you know, because um, it's so politicized, but it doesn't matter. You knew who this person was through and through. And it was just simply asking them about the character and you couldn't stand when they needed you to stand for them. And then another very profound moment was um, he had a very dysfunctional family um, prior to all this. And so he kind of just came into my family. We've been together for 14 years and my family just accepted him. My parents, he calls his parents, my siblings are his siblings, you know, and um, there was a lot of turmoil for many years within his family. But when all this happened, it seemed like his family wanted to rally around him. And I was never one to say, I'm going to stand in the way of that, right? He can make his own decisions. He's an adult. I will support him in his decisions. And so for a while, his parents had gotten back involved and was like trying to talk to him and encourage him. And then um, about two months into this, I think they realized mm, this is not going away anytime soon, right? And it gets hard. There are bad days just as there are good days. And I remember getting a message from his, who I call his biological mother, because he doesn't call her mom. Um, and she had said, I choose myself. And um, at that time, he was like, you know, this is where the concrete, there is a line, not the sand, because this isn't going away. You know, there's there's no gray area. It's either black or white in this instance. And she had said, I choose myself. And I think that was just a, such a profound period of time where, you know, first you're very hurt and you're angry. But I am so thankful that God pruned these trees of people in our lives to prove who was going to walk this with us because I didn't need those people in my life acting like fake friends, fake patriots, whatever it was, right? I only needed the people that were going to up uphold, you know, the loyalty and the dedication to us regardless of what had happened. And unfortunately, we had people like that fall away from our lives. I mean, even the guy that invited him to go, we were um, very close family friends with, went on vacations together, talked all the time. And um, I believe he is an informant for the FBI. And I believe he's gonna testify against my husband because he has immunity. And so you have these people that literally, just like his biological mother said, I choose myself. That's exactly what they had done. Um, but in that same breath, the people that have come alongside of us to walk this journey with us that we would have never met if it wasn't for this. Um, it takes all that pain, all that anger away because you just realize they were not meant for this journey. They were not meant for such a time as this. And it doesn't mean that they're bad people, but they certainly aren't gonna walk alongside of us. If you can't walk alongside of us in the valley, you're certainly not gonna celebrate on the rooftops with us. I'm, I'm just speechless from uh, the, the positive way that you can take all of this negative stuff and turn it around with faith and, and, and be able to say it with a smile is, is it is admirable. Isn't even a word close enough. To, so God bless you. Uh, that, that is, you. that is really inspirational. Thank you. Um, 
you had mentioned um, Roseanne Boyland several different times. So, and you'd also mentioned the videos and how the videos were taken out of context. Uh, there was a period of time where the audio wasn't even uh, being played in the videos uh, as part of that evidence to kind of create a narrative a little bit away from the actual scenario that happened. Could you tell us a little bit more about what wasn't shown on those videos, if there's more videos that exist that, that we are not aware of? I know just even trying to find some of the videos of him helping uh, Roseanne Boyland when she was uh, unfortunately passing away, those are very difficult to find as well because it paints him in a positive light, which just goes to show you the, the, the leftist narrative that perpetuates through media, through everything, really. But yeah so i'm um, going back to january 6th i watched the whole i was at home i watched the whole thing unfold on tv i saw ashley babbitt get shot on live tv and um we're in central time so about 4 30 our time 5 30 um eastern time i got a call from colton finally he was walking back to his hotel he told me everything that had just happened and the thing that had shocked me the most was him saying that a person had died and a woman had died and he was trying to save her life and i was like i i saw that like i watched it her be executed on tv and he was like no sarah i never went in the capitol she was beat to death and i was like i'm sorry what and it's not that i never believed my husband but there was just nothing to back up what he was saying and then come april it started to come out about roseanne boyle and that she you know the first story that the mainstream media posted was that she had relapsed on adderall the second one was that she died because she was crushed under a stampede and my husband's story never changed so i'm like there has to be more truth to what's you know my husband's just not a liar he couldn't lie about anything he lies about something stupid in the house and he like starts to smile and so like that's just not who he is as a person and so i was like there's got to be evidence to back this up well in august uh when they had it come from him just a couple of days later there was a gentleman who had posted um, a video saying Ronald McAbee did not pull a cop down the steps and it was posted on YouTube and um, it had gone up with an entity named M5 News. And I didn't know who he was. I had commented or I had my sister comment on his um, page and try to figure out, hey, who are you? And we always called this person an angel. From August to November, I had no idea who he was. I remember our investigator at the beginning saying, yeah, I had already gotten that video. A gentleman named Mr. McBride sent it over. I didn't know a McBride other than the attorney at the time. And come to find out in November, I got this call from a gentleman named Gary McBride out of Texas, who um, is one of the best video investigators for January 6th, has literally been watching video since January 15th of 2021, has uncovered so many things and was one of the investigators that uncovered Rose, how Roseanne Boyland truly died. And he had reached out to me and he said, you know, from the beginning, he was like, I was waiting. I knew the sheriff of J6 is what they call him. I knew that they were eventually going to get him. Um, because he tried to save Roseanne Boylan's life. So if you haven't seen the videos, the whole thing happens within like a seven minute time period. And he looks around to the line of officers. There's an officer lying on the ground like a starfish. And the protesters are trying to drag him into the crowd. He has no idea why this officer is, is being attacked, right? He just simply sees there's an officer in need. And so he looks around, yells, you have a man down. They don't do anything about it. So he just walks around the little bike barricade that they have and he goes and puts his, the officer's laying on the ground like a starfish. So he puts his leg in between the officer's legs to keep him stable so he can go down to pick him up. 
And when he goes down to pick him up, another officer approaches him, strikes him across the, the ribs and the shoulder, and he pops up, throws his hands up, and says, I'm helping, I'm one of you. As he's doing this, Lila Morris is beating, Lila Morris is a Metropolitan Police Officer, is beating Roseanne Boylan, and he's yelling, stop killing that girl. And um, unfortunately, the protesters had succeeded and pulled this officer down the stairs. So my husband and the officer slid down about uh, 20, 20 stairs, and he's over top of him on his hands and knees. You can see from the body camera footage that he's protecting him from the crowd around him. The crowd's calling him a traitor. You're one of us. What are you doing helping them? And he's yelling, no, quit. And the officer says, get off me, man. He says, I'm one of you. I'm helping you. The officer says, I know, I know, help me up. So he rolls him onto his side. He helps him back to the line of duty. By that time, they had already moved Roseanne Boylan's body away from the line of duty where she was being beaten. And they're giving her chest compressions. He's feeling around for an artery to see if she is still alive, looking in a medical bag for supplies to give her mouth to mouth. And they pick her body up and move her back to the line of duty. When, when she gets, when she's laying there in front of the officers, he starts to give her chest compressions and is pulled off of her as they drag her away. And you can see he is in such disbelief. He's coming off this adrenaline high. His shoulder is broken. He's like, what just happened? He's posted up against the wall. There's nobody else around him after they got done yelling at the cops. And there's an officer standing right in front of him. This is the third officer that he encounters, standing right in front of him that says, thank you. And my husband didn't hear him. He puts his hand up and he says, thank you for your help today. Appreciate you. And then uh, they're spraying and he puts his hand up like that. They're spraying him with pepper spray. Mind you, he's not combative. He's standing there holding his shoulder. Nobody is around him. And he yells, I'm not freaking hurting anybody. Stop. And then the crowd pushes up at that point, And they were so mad about what just happened with Roseanne. And he's standing there in a very defenseless position. You can see his hands. And the officer that had thanked him puts his arm around him and says, I got you, man. And then the crowd disperses a civilian. This officer gets a civilian to take him to a medical tent for his shoulder because he said, my shoulder is broken. And at that point, you know, that's the entire thing that is all on video and it's all on audio. And so that was the thing when we went into the initial bond hearing, they, the government had taken the audio out of the videos and they said it was because of technical errors that they couldn't play the audio. And so the judge in the middle district of Tennessee had said, release this man. There's no reason to detain him pending trial. The government didn't like it. So they appealed it. It went in front of the middle, or excuse me, it went in front of the district judge Emmett Sullivan in Washington, D.C., where within five minutes, he called him a terrorist to his face. And that's the the um, judge that said he did not uphold his oath of office that day and um, has detained him thus far. Wow. wow. And it's been a yo-yo with the court system as well, because he was supposed to be released for a bond hearing. And um, Judge Emmett Sullivan, at the very last minute, correct, pulled yes. that back, said, no, not going to happen. Yes. Wow. So do you, it's an obvious question, but I have to ask, you feel like the justice system has, has failed you and, and failed all of these other yeah, folks that it are in the same position or similar it positions? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, it absolutely has. It hasn't only failed us, though, which I think is the interesting part of this. It has failed so many Americans across the board. And January 6th defendants are just the ones exposing 
how corrupt this is. You know, it happens to one person, then they sweep it under the rug, or it happens to a couple of people. The justice system, the Department of Justice is geared, unfortunately, to prey on the uneducated and the not wealthy, right? And so they can't do anything about it. They don't know better. They're not wealthy enough to fight this fight. And yet they have picked 1,200 average Americans to expose how corrupt their justice system is. From the beginning, when they are allowed to lie to a grand jury to indict somebody, to they are allowed to lie at the, the opening and closing statements, they're allowed to, a jury is allowed to sit on there that um, are named victims in cases. Anybody in the vicinity of Washington, D.C. on January 6th is a named victim in these cases. And those are the same people sitting on the jury that are convicting them of these charges. That is why there is a 99.4 conviction rate. It's never heard of. You see with the, the Whitner kidnapping cases that just this past week, it was done in, in uh, Michigan. That's a very uh, blue state as well. But there was three acquittals and two mistrials. And if they simply moved the cases across the river to Alexandria, statistics shows it would go from a 99.4 conviction rate down to a 60% conviction rate. So that is why no change of uh, venues have been granted to these individuals. And that's your constitutional right to be able to have a jury, a, a trial in front of a jury of your peers. And, and that's and, not the only constitutional right they're breaking, but that's a big one. And DC is not a, not a jury of your peers. That is a highly, of anyone's peers. Yeah, no, exactly. Yes. It does not represent America. And since this is a yes. issue that has to do with America, I think it should probably be a little bit more of a diverse jury pool. Uh, yeah, their favorite absolutely. word to use diverse. Um, <laughs> so, what message or perspective would you like the public to understand about your experiences and your family's journey uh, since January 6th? And, and what can we do to support you? Absolutely. Thank you for asking that question. I get that so much. How can we help? You can help by your support, your prayers, your monetary donations, whatever anybody is able to give. This fight, we're not we're not able to fight alone. I like to tell people, find your local sixer and adopt them. Um, there's 1,200 January 6th defendants that have been indicted, 158 that are incarcerated from all 50 states. And we're not able to do this on our own. We are fighting multiple battles on multiple fronts. But what kind of burden is lifted off these individuals' shoulders when they have their community rally behind them? So you can look them up. Um, Patriot Mail Project is one American. Gulag, um, com has all the January 6th defendants and a little bit of their stories. Not everything on there is up to date, but it does tell you where. You can go to forashley.com as well. Ashley Babbitt's Mother's Foundation's for Ashley. And there is an arrest map on there as well. So you can find out these, you can find your local people. You might not even know that a county or two over that the FBI came in and raided that person's house and they're gone now from their family. And so, you know, this battle has not been an easy one to fight by any means. I do believe it's it's the power of the, the American patriots' prayers that are behind us that gives us the strength to get up and continue to fight this regime that I like to call it, you know, throw rocks at the tyranny that's that we're fighting. And that's what we need. We need them to rally behind us. Everybody has a voice. We need to get out there and tell these people stories, just as you've allowed us to talk on your platform today. We need people to to share their skill set, whatever they're good at. Um, because this is going to be a community effort, not just a one man's effort. And our, and no, by no means we want to have our name in lights, nothing of that sort. We just simply want to fix this system and get America back. So we started a foundation called standinthegap.foundation. 
Um, that's our website. We can go read more about it. And there's two main things that there's three things that we work on family services, justice reform and reentry. But the main two pressing things fall under family services. We launched a project called Operation Love Wins. And we've funded over 20, I believe it's 27 families to go to Washington, D.C. to see their loved ones for visitation, where we cover every expense so they can just go there, not have to worry about their car payment, their house payment, whatever it might be, that they can go and enjoy their time. And then the other thing that we are fighting with this regime is we are not winning in the district courts, clearly, when there's a 99.4 conviction rate. Well, what they have done is broken these people financially. We're two and a half years into this, and these statistics are just coming out now. So in a normal case, you say, hey, I you know, need to go hire the best attorney. doesn't matter what it costs. What well, doesn't matter how much you pay for an attorney right now, you are losing. And so now we have to take it to the next level, which is the circuit court with court of appeals. But these families have been so financially broken because the breadwinners have been gone. They've sold their houses, sold their cars two and a half years into this to make ends meet that now we need to rally behind them to pay for these appellate attorneys. You're hundred percent right. And, and whatever you do, don't do nothing. And that's yes. what too many people do. And we are at the point in our country now where it, it's going to take every one of us patriots to stand up against this totalitarian regime. And it's it's global. It's global. Yes. So this is a big battle. So we need all the patriots like yourself and, and everybody else that we, we've had the pleasure to meet and, and that we see finally standing up. There was a long time in, in our uh, current history where people weren't even weren't even opening their mouths. And like you mentioned, right. family and friends that turned their backs. It's, it's a shame. It's a shame that it that is. happened. And and uh, again, I love your positive demeanor through it and where it's just Thank exposing you. folks that you don't need in your life to begin with. But right. you know, nonetheless, it's still a shame that people are, are that despicable in, in their convictions to where just the drop of a dime and they're willing to give it all up. It, it's, yeah. it's sad. But what you are doing, not only for your husband, but for America, is inspiring and three years ago did you ever think that you would be standing as one of the pallbearers for american yeah. freedom absolutely not i never thought our lives would look like this i mean my husband was a law enforcement officer a pillar in the community i worked as a vice president of a corporate company for seven years and i never thought that I had the courage within myself to fight this regime. I never thought that this is what our lives would look like. But I just had a re revelation about maybe 11 months into this that I realized if I'm not going to fight for my husband or any of these January 6th defendants, then nobody is. And if it's to be, it's up to me. And so I've had incredible people come alongside and say, we're going to do this. And, you know, we're, we're fighting a massive war. We might be losing battles here and there, um, but we are fighting a war. And our end game is to get justice for all. You know, that's what we say in the Pledge of Allegiance, liberty and justice for all. And when we don't have the justice system in America, we don't have anything. And so people need to wake up and realize that America is crumbling at the seams. We have political prisoners in our own nation's capital. And we need them to rally behind us to to give us the strength to continue to fight because courage is contagious and we need leaders to lead. And you are doing just that. And thank you so much for everything that you do. And next time that you do have a chance to talk to Colt, let him know that, you know, we're all praying for him and he's got all the Patriots got his six and anything that we can do to thank help. You. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, stand in the gap dot foundation and also the real J six as well. Correct. So, yes, uh, therealj6.com. Sarah, thank you so much for taking some time to sit down and 
have an interview with us and get your word out there. And please keep in touch and let us know Excellent. of everything that is uh, up and coming as far as those developments are concerned. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. You're very well. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's not only sad, but that's also an inspiring story. And, and we, we thank Sarah for standing up and being a patriot and, and sharing her voice and her story on our show here on Straight Talk. As I mentioned earlier, we've got a lot of groups and people that we've been coming in contact with the past couple months and a fantastic group of patriots called the Town Hall Patriots. And this show here, we're going to be working together on putting together some roundtable podcasts and all sorts of really neat discussions between some polarized groups of people and like-minded as well. So please look forward to that. We'll be announcing it on this show, and we've got some really exciting things coming up in that department. Uh, as always, our show is sponsored by Florida Straits, defending and protecting traditional values in the K-12 schools and communities. So please hop on over to their website, floridastraits.com, check them out, make a small donation, and help the guys that support our show. But if you want to support our show directly, we have a couple of ways of doing that. We've got a Patreon and a Locals account where we upload some exclusive material that you can get for only $5 a month, and that helps support this show directly. If you want a sweet way to support this show directly, well, then let me show you. Make Honey Great Again. Made right here in the United States of America and South Carolina. It is made by hand. No big production. It's all handmade from local citizens, so they provide local jobs, and it goes pretty much from the bee to the bottle. And if you look at that bottle, this is in the shape of the 45th and hopefully 47th president, Donald J. Trump. So if you've got some conservative friends, this is an excellent way to give them a nice gift over the holidays. Or if you've got some liberal lefty friends that you just want to trigger, make honeygreatagain.com. Use promo code STRAIGHT, S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, and you'll be able to support this show directly and have a sweet treat in your cabinet. What's really neat about these is you can see from the two different bottles, there's a color variation between the two, which shows you how authentic this is because that's the seasonal flower variations, and you can see it in the color of the product. So don't just get one today. Get one every season and stock your cabinet up. Again, thank you for joining us on this last episode of Straight Talk, and we will see you next time. <laughs>